0: I think he broke his fucking neck. I told you I broke his fucking neck!
1: welcome to the 70s versus the 80s this is wolfman mike and i'm back without a co-host again Uh, jimmy dynamite had a family uh deal and uh awesome augie is on assignment but i am joined by a great guest today i've wanted to have him for a while it's john from pro football journal we're going to talk some Super Bowl. We're going to talk some Longest Yard. Let's get into it, shall we? So today we are joined by John from Pro Football Journal. He's joining us from uh, front row, the Super Bowl press r- row. Yo, I guess. <laughs> How are you doing today, John?
2: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Excellent. And so we're going to get into... our. We're going to be talking the longest yard here. We're going to be talking about uh, John's experience as he's down there at the press roll at the Super Bowl. But before we uh, talk football, I had one other question for you. I uh, opened up the show playing um, Sister Christian, a 1983 song from Night Ranger. Are you familiar with that song, John? I am. So I'm going to play you another song. It's another sister song, and the the idea is we have to choose a sister. So So let me know if you are familiar with this song, John
0: tried to make it sunday but i got so damn depressed
2: yeah it's uh, I america my i believe uh, Monday, and yep I, I don't remember the i don't remember the title
0: <laughs>
1: so it is sister golden hair
2: okay i would have never gotten that <laughs>
1: So, so, yeah, I started out with uh, Sister Christian and that's Sister Golden Hair. So, I guess I, I, I kind of already know your answer already. If you were forced to banish one song and just uh, banish one song forever and just uh, listen to the other one, which one would you choose? Which sister would you choose?
2: Um, I like Sister Christian. It's an okay song. It's from the 80s and uh, I'm a little more familiar. It at least has some guitars in it that uh, are electrified.
1: Yeah, um, I, would, I I think I'm gonna vote the same way as you. I know that Sister Golden Hair. It was uh, it was uh, the producer was the uh, the fifth Beatle. I forget his name now. Is it George Martin? I think so. It's kind of yes. got that Beatles song sound to it, and I really like America a lot. I, I'll put their five greatest songs against anybody's five best songs, but yeah, something about that Sister Christian was just uh. You know, it's kind of a novelty song, but something made it popular, and it's it's got something magic to it. So I agree with you. I think I would choose that song. But we're not here to talk music. We're here to talk. It is Super Bowl week, and I got John here from Pro Football Journal down there at the uh, press row down there in Arizona. What what is the scene down there, John?
2: Well, on Fridays, it's the busiest day for Radio Row, but all week has been— Very busy, and it just gets busier as the week rolls on. Uh, For those not familiar, Radio Row started in the early 90s, and radio stations will come from all over the nation and set up tables in an area designated by the NFL, and celebrities and football players will come through and do interviews and they'll have producers that are just grabbing players, "Hey, do you have a moment? Can you come on our show?" and then there'll be handlers and entourages that will say yes or no. So it can be kind of a meat market in a way. So that's that happens a lot and I've been part of that for quite a long time. Excellent.
1: So uh are you at Liberty to say who who have you meet, met at the meat market this year? Have you, any big names that we would know?
2: Well, I was working with a couple of people, uh, one of them was Jake Plummer, and uh, another was Rondé Barber yesterday and David Tyree the day before, but there were a lot of people I wasn't working with. Deion Sanders came through, uh, Carl Eller, Hall of Famer for the Vikings, uh, you name it, there were people coming through, It would just uh, it's an exhaustive list, uh, you would just turn around and there would be somebody that you knew. Uh, rookies that are prospects that the draft would come in, uh, on and on.
1: You've been doing this for years now. How do you see the um, like the current, the trend, is there any trends with the coverage of the Super Bowl? I mean, now I, there's a lot of bloggers, a lot of, um, you know, I know I guess media just gets bigger and bigger every year. Is it any other trends you've been seeing that how the Super Bowl's been evolving over the years?
2: Well, you mentioned bloggers. Uh, The height of Radio Row was probably 1999 through maybe 2012. And then COVID hit in, of course, 2021. I've noticed fewer radio stations are coming. A lot of the big ones don't come. But podcasts are everywhere. The NFL is granting Hmm. uh, media passes to to them, whereas maybe eight, nine years ago, they wouldn't even be granted. So you should apply next year and, and, and come to Vegas.
1: I, I might have to do that. That's what I,
2: <laughs> you could set up your podcast. You could have a Wrangler and try to get interviews. Uh, a lot of times Carl Eller might be there. There might be other Vikings, and you could just focus on what you do. It's a good time.
1: Excellent. I'll have to tr- check that out. How have the events been? I know I've I actually was down in Arizona for the uh, one Super Bowl, the uh, famous Eli Manning beating the undefeated uh, Patriots Super Bowl, um, and there was a, like I went to a free Counting Crows concert the night before, and then they had like fireworks that went on for like it seemed like a half hour. It was just like a grand finale. And I was thinking, geez, I think the NFL kind of has some money. Um, how has there been like Have you been to any of the events this week down there? Is anything impressed you at all?
2: I have. Uh, I was at NFL Honors last night when there were people everywhere. There was a red carpet introduction where the media was allowed on the outside of the red carpet, and the football players and their dates or wives and also celebrities would walk in in their fancy clothes and things. Uh, I couldn't afford, maybe you can, uh, just spectacularly <laughs> dressed. And uh, the MVP was announced, uh, the Defensive Player of the Year and all those awards. And also the the Hall of Fame class of 2023 was announced. And there's been various other things as well. You mentioned free concerts. One of my favorite Super Bowls was in Tampa, where it, it seemed like there was a concert um there was a concert almost on every block almost every night one time I, I saw a cheap trick on the, on one night, and then I was walking down a uh, a street and I looked around and there was and, and you know no judgment involved. I was looking around and I said man this 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 is a great concert i can't, I couldn't see who was on stage. I said, "This kind of looks like um, a Katie Lane concert, and sure enough, it was a Katie Lane concert, and it was just wonderful." <laughs> Wow.
1: Yeah, that's like I said. I think I think the NFL kind of has a little bit of money to throw around, and they they do a great, fantastic job with all the, those uh, extra curricular activities and stuff that they have. Is there anything else we wanted to cover about down there this week?
2: Well, um, I'll you know, be glad to share anything, but it's just a good time. I would always recommend somebody doing it once in their lifetime at least if it's close to them and. You find a place to stay, and you can kind of travel around and, and see the events. There's uh, always lots of... Sometimes the cities will put on parties as well. It's not just the NFL. Sometimes they're the ones that are hiring the bands and lots of fireworks. And uh, if you like food and you can afford $18 hot dogs and $21 pulled pork sandwiches, uh, it's the place for you. <laughs> Pepsi's
1: are about $8. <laughs> well, that's actually not too bad. I know at some of the stadiums now, Pepsi's are going for like, yeah, probably really around $9, $10. So that's, let's talk a little the longest yard.
0: Burt Reynolds, the electricity that turns on the most outrageous team in football, the mean machine, supercharged and power driven to the longest yard. <laughs> Burt Reynolds, the quarterback who will tackle anything. Driver's license. Yeah, look what we got here, a miniature cop.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I just want to play that to prove that, yes, we are talking about the 1974 Longest Yard, not the uh, 2005 Longest Yard. Um, What what do you think of when you hear that uh, trailer, John? What's the first thing that comes to your mind?
2: Well, it reminds me of when I got to go see it. I was only 11 years old, and it, of course, was a pretty rough movie, but my, my dad took my brother and, my, <laughs> and me to it, and I had seen, in 1970, uh, Patton at the theater, which was the first time I remember going to a theater, and wow. it had some harsh language in it. The reason he took us was because his brother, my Uncle James, was in Patton's Third Army, and it covered a lot of the things and the battles that he was involved in. But then the next movie that was rough, it was an R rating, was The Longest Yard, and he took us to that. So I think we had seen the trailer, and for some reason, he, he took an 11-year-old, to, and my brother was 16, to The Longest <laughs> Yard.
1: <laughs> well, that was, yeah, I, I mean, I see now— the, you talk about your first movie. I can remember seeing Rocky when I was six, and I think that was my first movie. And I thought that was kind of rough, but now it's really tame when you when you look back today. And and that's kind of funny because um, I was putting down in the notes here. I was looking at the uh, with IMDb their parental guidelines. It's kind of funny that you said there, you went there and you're that young. And I was just going to see if you if you agreed with these parental guidelines for sex and nudity. Uh, IMDb says it's mild. Uh, violence and gore, they have moderate, profanity is moderate, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that one, and then they have alcohol, drugs, and smoking, mild, and then frightening and intense scenes, mild. Do, do you kind of agree with those uh, those ratings by MDB, or <laughs> what do you think?
2: Well, I actually do, especially by today's standards, I don't remember excessive cursing. I think uh, for a prison movie, I think it was not excessively violent. A lot of stuff was implied. Uh, I think the only drinking involved was, I think they made some sort of uh, raisin hooch or something that they kept in in the bathroom. Pruno or something, yeah, yeah. And uh, implied use of maybe some steroids or some greenies or some bennies to enhance performance, but it wasn't... uh, obvious it was more suggested it, it, it was I think it was pretty mild when you watch it now I think the modern version was much more over the top compared to the 1974 version
1: yeah I agree with you at I, I was like uh I was kind of laughing at their their parental guidelines and then I went back and watched the movie and I go they're, they're actually pretty close it, it's a lot more moderate than I thought I just remembered the whole movie taking place in a prison so I thought it was going to be uh, more violence and stuff and I remember I what. I too watched it on TV because I was, wasn't old enough to go to the theater. I, I remember watching TV and I, I thought it was more intense when he, like, when caretaker gets burned up in the jail cell. But they really don't show much of it. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it is pretty mild and stuff. Um, I know, John, you wanted to talk about, uh, so this is this is uh, Burt Reynolds, of course. This is kind of his big um, breakout role. I think uh, uh, Deliverance was his first role. Like in 1972, I believe that was. And then two years later, he gets his own movie here. But you kind of wanted to talk about the movie was full of a lot of football stars. Um, What can you kind of tell me about them?
2: Well, a lot of football players. I think what's interesting is there were only a few stars, but there were several players that a lot of people wouldn't even recognize. The biggest star was Ray Nitsky, who was one of the the guards who was cruel cruel to the inmates. And Joe Capp was a pretty big star. And then the third guard was Mike Henry, who was actually pretty friendly at the very end and told Paul Crew that he played a good game. A lot of folks don't know that he was a football player for the Steelers and the, and the Rams. And he was Tarzan. one of uh, he, So he had a good acting career. And uh, he played Tarzan oh. in a lot of roles. And then he also played with Burt Reynolds... In Smokey and the Bandit, he was kind of the ne'er-do-well, village idiot son of Jackie Gleason in that movie. So that was the same guy as one of the guards.
1: Oh, oh I remember his son. That, he, that was him, huh? Wow.
2: Yeah, that's the same you know, I wouldn't guy. I would have never
1: put those two together. Yeah, wow. Mike
2: Henry. And he, he had, if you look him up on IMDb, you'll see that he had a lot of roles. He, was, he had a good solid post-football acting career. Also in the movie, they in inmate roles, there was a, a Dino Washington, and uh, Ernie Wheelwright was a solid running back. Jim Nicholson, I don't know how much he got credited in it, but he was a tall tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs. He, he started a little bit. There was a receiver named Ray Ogden for the Falcons. You can find football cards of some of these guys. Uh, There was a gentleman named uh, Purvis Atkins who did a lot of the talking when Paul Crewe, the the Burt Reynolds character was trying to recruit the african-american players you know they needed speed and that was kind of a stereotype you yeah. um, you know those are things that uh, you know maybe you could get away with now but that was just kind of the way it was the the white guys couldn't run we have to get some team speed so naturally go to the to the black players and then uh, I thought it was handled really well the black players said we're not gonna we're not gonna play for the man it was during a time where black players felt like they might have been exploited, and it was kind of an interesting little scene, and the actor who did the most of the talking was Purvis Atkins. And then there was a, okay. what I thought was kind of an insensitive scene that, by today's standards where Sonny Sixkiller was the Native American uh, athlete. He was a quarterback for the University of Washington. He was in the Rams camp in 1973, and he said he had served at Oklahoma State. Uh, oklahoma state college no prison so there was a couple of <laughs> insensitive jokes going on with that one that i don't think you could get away with today nor should you Well,
1: yeah. so, excellent yeah i didn't realize like like mike henry and them i and i didn't know purvis atkins i guess i didn't even think of them as being football players i thought they were just actors and they they did a really good job in the movie um one of my favorite actors in the movie was richard keel who played samson the really tall almost he was like a tall i don't know like a child like the biggest guy out there but he was like a, he was had like a childlike personality and um he he played jaws on the james bond movies i'm not a big james bond guy but i do remember that he had the the jaws roles on the james bond is so he had my some of my favorite scenes where he <laughs> where he gets his nose broken, and he's he insists that the other guy apologize. And then, um... <laughs> he
0: broke my fucking nose! <laughs> you bastard! You broke my fucking nose! Calm down, Samson. Calm down. I'm going to fix it for you, all right? I don't want to play this game! He broke my nose. I, I'm going to fix it, OK? How does it look? Oh, it looks uh, 100% better, doesn't it? 100%? Oh, yeah. It does? Yeah. Yo, he did that on purpose. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Tell him, you... Tell him you're sorry. Please. I'm sorry okay everybody huddle up huddle up let's go he said he was sorry bullshit come on let's, he up. let's go. You let's go let's huddle up. up let's go
1: and then the uh the th- I was looking for the sound clip where on the TV edit where he does the clothesline and he says i I, on TV when I was a kid and I'd watch it, like I said, I wasn't old enough to see it in the theaters and they always said, I broke his freaking neck, you know, um, and I thought that was funnier than the actual F-bomb that they said in the actual movie, but I couldn't find that sound clip with the, with the TV edited at all. But I, I think it's a hilarious, um, scene either way.
2: Well, and that's the only reason now, then probably that it got the R rating. There used to be specific rules by the MPAA, and if the F word appeared twice, it would get an R rating even if it was fairly you know considered fairly mild so that was that's why it would be considered R rated and now in in most movies you'll get the F-bomb within the first five minutes of a prison movie <laughs>
1: Yeah, and they said the f bomb like uh, in that scene with the clothesline scene. They said it like four times in a row, so it was like that was kind of the joke at the of the scene. So, where do you think this ranks as, as Burt Reynolds' move as his movies? Where would you rank it?
2: I would rank it fairly high. I I was never a Burt Reynolds fan, but I think he was really good in Deliverance. I think this was really good. As you move, I did not like the Smokey and the Bandit series, and I did not like Cannonball Run. I like Sharky's Machine, which is one of the underrated films of his. Uh yep. so he's not a favorite, but I think he was really good. I liked him on the Gunsmoke series. I thought he played a good character there where he, he got his start. <laughs> I think he's he's a very good comedic actor. I just sometimes didn't think he got a lot of great, great roles. I thought Hooper was was pretty good.
1: Yeah, and um I, I thought in this movie, I mean I guess I was I was watching and the documentary on it. And they said the movie was supposed to be more serious, but like uh, Bert's personality just... I I think he was just perfect in this role because um, I'm a huge Adam Sandler fan, but I don't... The 2005 remake didn't do it for me. Um, I thought Bert was just more of a... Kind of more of a smart-ass or, you know, um, where Adam Sandler's more of a comedic actor, but Bert could do it both ways. He could be the dramatic football player or he just... I don't know. He was just funny without trying to be funny. And, um, I, I thought he really added a ton to the role. And like you said, Smokey and the Bandit, he'd go on. That was kind of his big vehicle, pardon the pun, but that was kind of like his, you know, where he got faint ultra famous. And that was just kind of like, you're just hanging out with Burt Reynolds. There wasn't much of a plot there. Let's face it. He's just driving around in a tram, You're just hanging out with Burt Reynolds in a Trans Am. Um so I thought this was like you know I thought this could have been where his career could have gone where he could have done these roles where he's kind of a, a half drama dramedy half comedy half drama um so I I think it's my favorite role by him in any movie I, I mean he was good in Deliverance I mean he's that was kind of more of an ensemble piece and that movie's kind of a little hard to be rewatchable and stuff but
2: I yeah I agree with you I think this was a perfect role and those were the the few I told you that I liked and this one has to rank right up there for the reasons you state. He's he's that kind of wise guy athlete and I think a lot of us know people that were like him. And if it goes over the top, a, a character goes way over, it ruins the movie. And with Adam Sandler, it just w- didn't work on a couple of levels. One is the the kind of comedy he did, and the other part is he just he didn't fit athletically. Burt Reynolds played college ball, and he he has a frame that looks like he could play football. He's a he's a big guy, and he he could say stuff in a in a way that was funny without trying to be obvious, and it was fairly serious but had humorous points. So I think it it holds up well. Not only that, it was made as a movie in a period where they had a lot of realism. in ter- like That's just something like uh, that was just kind of done at the time. There was not a lot of super special effects and there wasn't a lot of things that they were trying to to make it really fake. Um, the actor that was in Bullet was always big into, uh, Steve McQueen, was always big into realism. He just wanted it to be like you were watching real life. And that's kind of like what The Longest Yard was like. It was not overhyped, not overproduced. It was looking as real as you could make a movie look.
1: Producer was Albert S. Ruddy. Um, and kind of why I got into re-watching this movie is I, I watched it, The Offer on uh, Paramount. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's a it's an eight-part uh series about the making of the godfather and they kind of incorporated a lot of the godfather scenes into it um but what i didn't know about him is he he left he didn't do godfather 2 he's like i'm gonna go do this football movie with a you know a football player gets put in jail and they're like what that's that sounds ridiculous why don't you do godfather 2 and he's like nope i'm leaving to do this movie and um and I, I i can really see his influence in it i i think it was a smart choice making you know going into this movie
2: Yeah, I would say so. Honestly, I'm not much of a movie buff in terms of those types of things, directors and producers, but I do remember that story, that it was somebody who came over from, turned down a chance to do Godfather 2 coming over from the first one. And you can just tell that this is not just some cheesy football movie like so many of them were. This is a serious-looking and acted film.
1: Yeah, like, I was unaware, like... (laughs) I don't know, at least from the documentary I watched, uh, Burt Reynolds said he was calling plays and then the camera was just following him like it was a real football game. He was like, so they didn't know what play was coming or whatever. And I and that one scene where he throws the long bomb, he actually threw, there was no stuntman they were doing. So he actually threw that long pass that was completed and stuff. And um, um and some of the play calling, I, I know you're a football aficionado. It, it kind of made me laugh like... Uh, like they do the drop kick? Why to get three points? Why wouldn't they just line up for a an extra or a field goal? I mean, what? Why would you have to surprise the defense? I'm and then the the ref. I like that he goes. I haven't seen that in thirty five years, and I go, well, yeah, because it doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't you just kick? Why do you have to catch the defense off you know off guard to score three points? Why don't you just line them? Do you remember that scene? Just you, do you think the same thing?
2: Yeah, I do. That was maybe a little bit uh, unrealistic. I think that was probably just. Uh, kind of thrown in there as a novelty, just to show that they were yeah. more prepared than, than, the, than the so-called semi-pro team. And you mentioned the, the play calling and how it looked. It just seemed more realistic. For quite a few years recently, I've coached semi-pro football and called plays and was working with athletes that are kind of on that level. They were really good guys. They played in the Air Force or were in the Air Force or they had played a little bit of college ball or could have gone to college had they not gone into the Air Force or they were local stars who couldn't go to college for various reasons. And it doesn't look slick. It doesn't look perfect. There's going to be times where there's a blown coverage. There's going to be times when there are mistakes. But sometimes it could look really good. When you look at football movies especially in the 80s and then in the 90s it just looks fake it doesn't look real the hits and the soundtrack that goes with the hits is it's just not realistic NFL football doesn't have the kind of hits they show in movies when you <laughs> when you look at the the second iteration of the longest yard and these guys running long a long way and then just getting clocked People would be in the hospital. It's just not realistic. And in the first longest yard, it's close to what football looks like on that level, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, so I know you're pre- you're pretty much an expert on. You're always uh, pointing out football plays on, on your uh, Twitter feed and such. What do you what football movie do you think was the most choreographed, the best, the most realistic in play action?
2: Uh, this would be up there. I hadn't uh, thought about that one a lot, but I think that's one of them. But probably the best would be North Dallas 40. The technical consultant huh. for that one was Tom Fears, who coached in the NFL and, of course, is a Hall of Fame player. And Joe Capp was in a movie called um, Two Minute Warning that had good football scenes, and Tom Fears was the, the football coordinator on that one as well. So that had good football scenes as well. And like I said, there were movies that I thought were just fake. Any given Sunday, I thought the football scenes in it were ridiculous. It just was unrealistic. Huh. So the ones they did in the 70s were just more realistic. It just They just didn't look realistic, and I thought it was fake.
1: What Do, do you remember the movie where the fullback pulled out a, a gun? What the... Oh, do you remember that? Uh, maybe you don't remember that. It was like a 90s movie.
2: Yeah, Bruce Willis was in that one. And uh, it was Damon Wayne's. And that was also had ridiculous. It, it was, remember, it was shot in very low light. And there's just, yeah. no, it was just, that was, in, I'm sorry, it was just beyond stupid. <laughs> he, he was involved um, in some sort of gambling. And, uh, Bad acting, bad football, bad plot, and it was all about uh, a football player who sold out because he somehow got into some sort of debt or gambling. It was called The Last Boy Scout.
1: Oh, that's what it was called, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I see it in, in, on the trailer, when the the fullback pulls out a, a pistol, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe they're not going for realism here on the... Uh, the football field, but, <laughs> um. So, and okay. Did you have any other football movies you wanted to touch on that you thought? Um?
2: Well, Burt Reynolds was in another one called Semi-Tough, which is a great book, but it was a bad football movie. Burt Reynolds and huh. played uh, Billy uh, Billy Clyde Puckett. And the football scenes in it were really bad. By that time, Burt Reynolds had lost his speed. And Chris Christofferson played a wide receiver named Shake Tiller. And he was he was slow as molasses. And Joe Cap was in <laughs> Joe Cap was in that movie as well. That was his, he was playing a quarterback just like he did. He, just like he did in Two Minute Warning. And he looked he looked pretty realistic, but it was not a great football movie. Ed Tuttle Jones was in that movie. There were several football players in that one as well, but I don't recommend that as a movie, but I do recommend it as a book. It's uh, interesting. It got a lot of critical acclaim. But boy, you want to talk politically incorrect, that one is over the top. It's, uh, you could never get away with writing something like that today, but it does take a serious <laughs> look at racism and sexism that, that went on in football locker rooms in that era.
1: And that, uh, yeah, that just brings me a point back to uh, The Longest Yard. Bernadette Peters was the basic, well, we had the female at the beginning, uh, which was kind of, unf- that talk about a scene we wouldn't be able to have today, uh, where Burt Reynolds, That it's almost like a second movie when that movie, or it's like a different movie the first five minutes of that movie, um, where he gets in the car chase, and uh, he kind of gets a little handsy with his girlfriend and then steals her car and then dumps it in the water. That kind of feels like a different movie to me. It's like a, it's more of a car chase movie, and then the only other female, you know, since they're in a prison, it's just Bernadette Peters is like the only other female on the credit sheet. So she, uh, she, I think that's kind of a tough role for her. She kind of had to, you know, be the only woman in the movie. So, and and the only thing I can say about that opening scene is they show. I'm, I'm not a car guy, but they show him uh, driving a manual, and then when he dumps it in the lake, he just hits it like it's a he hits the gear like he's hitting an automatic gear (laughs) so that's kind of like a a flub they made on the movie there
2: yeah and it it, it is tough to watch the first few minutes in that domestic violence is is ugly and it was just a sign of the times and maybe that was part of the downfall of his character maybe they just thought they had to show that because he was a broken man maybe because of how he sold out his team uh, to make money and I wish they may have. I wish they could have maybe developed the reasons that he did that. We're kind of left in a, in a mystery of why he did what he did. He he admitted that he did it to the character caretaker later, but we just pick up on with a broken man who's drinking too much and uh, and, and hitting a woman and then stealing her car and getting arrested and going to jail and being forced to play yeah. football. So it's it's kind of not a cliffhanger, but a, at the beginning, we, we don't know really what happened.
1: Yeah, I, I will give the movie credit. You know, at least, like I said, maybe that's a five-minute scene, and then they don't go to the courtroom or anything. They just go straight to the prison um, I think it was kind of funny. They said he had a 10 month sentence. And um, <laughs> when you go to prison, it's always over a year. Otherwise you go to jail if it's under a year. And I, I mean, this was supposed to take place in Florida in the seventies. So I don't know if the, the laws were different, but I thought that was kind of funny that he would go to prison for a 10 month sentence. Um, and then, Another scene where they where they're shaving him and they shave half his mustache off. I mean, I'll give him credit for that because you only get one shot. <laughs> That's a scene you have to get on the first take. It's going to be kind of hard to recreate that. And um, and it was supposed to be demeaning. You know, he's a superstar and they shave him and stuff. But I, I thought he looked a lot better <laughs> after he got shaved. I thought he looked a million times better. What, what'd you think?
2: Yeah, I I liked that scene a lot because it was again developing the cruelty of of the guards. It just showed that they're going to let the inmates know that you're not going to get away with anything. It's That's the statement I think the movie was really about. Football was more of the vehicle that they showed that the inmates were going to be able to gain a little bit of humanity.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, and and then you're talking about the players. I remember, I think Ray Nitschke was only retired like maybe one year when this movie came out. He had just recently retired, so he was still in really good shape. And, and he he's kind of and he did good with the comic role. He's the one that goes, "What?" When we were talking about the drop kick scene, he goes, "What was that?" Burt Reynolds is like drop kick, and he's like, "What's that worth?" And he's like three points. And he's so he was really good with the comedic role on that part. Um, I thought.
2: I agree. I agree. He, I think he did real well. I don't, I don't know that uh, Joe Cap did all that great, but he was okay. And I thought Mike Henry did real well.
1: Yeah, and then uh, Joe Cap, I think maybe they cut some scenes out because he was called the Walking Boss was his was his name in the movie, and I was like, they didn't really explain that, so he, maybe he had some scenes that were cut out. Maybe, maybe he wasn't a good enough actor to hold all his scenes together because I just feel like, I feel like he was kind of underused in the movie um so <laughs> or something like that
2: yeah that could be cuz he was the focus of the ire of the inmates when they got my one of my favorite scenes or a couple favorite scenes is when they wanted to take revenge on him and they got x-rays of the guards and they saw that this particular guard or the walking boss had had an injury to this bone or this leg so they were going to target that and try to injure him another one was where they were going to use the brass knuckles to give an extra shot and make sure that they could inflict damage on some of the guards and, and the using the hand pads and using plaster of Paris to harden it. That I thought played really, really well because they were going to use this to hit the guards.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, had, it had kind of a It kind of reminded me a little bit of, uh, this movie came out before Slapshot and the Slapshot kind of uses the same thing with the, uh, where they're, well, they're foiling up their hands, I guess. Um, kind of reminded me of that scene a little bit. So this movie came out in 1974, you know, the podcast is called the seventies versus the eighties. Do you think it would be better or worse if they would have released it in 1984? And then who do you, if you who do you think would be a good cast as the as the lead character in 1984 if they would have released it then?
2: Well, I don't think it would have been as good in the 1980s. I really do not think there was a character or an actor in the 1980s that could have played the role. In my opinion, it takes a, a player or a, an actor who is a former player who also has a little bit of a... It has to be a pretty good actor, but it has some size on him. The only actor I can think of who could have played the role would be Mark Harmon. Sometimes Mm. he can get away with some Weisenheimer acting. I've seen him play a little bit of comedy. But if you think of an Eddie Murphy, for example, he could be like an Adam Sandler type, but I don't know if he's big enough to play the role. I don't know if... um, Huh. No Gibson could get away with it either. I think he sometimes can be pretty funny, and he's kind of athletic. So Mark Harmon is the only one, but I don't think he had the star power that Burt Reynolds did. I think maybe the Bernadette Peters character had... There's several women who could have played that really well and played it pretty funny. I think you could play find a lot of football players to play the guards that would have worked out pretty well but that lead character in the 80s I just don't think there was an equivalent to Burt Reynolds.
1: Yeah, you made some good points there. I agree. I don't think there was an equivalent but um I was thinking one actor he only made one team sports movie. Uh do you remember the movie Victory, the soccer movie? So uh, that 80s movie with Pelé. I I think um uh, Sylvester Stallone, I, I agree. I, I, it was better made in 74. I think if you would have made it in 84, maybe Sylvester Stallone, of course, you know, would be too short to be a pro quarterback or anything. But um, I I think he could have some of that smart aleck, you know, like where he's saying, you know, caretaker's manager, where he's just kind of looking at the guys and making kind of a smirky face. I think he could have done that pretty good. I don't know if he would have been athletic enough. I don't think he was really a- athletic enough to play the goalie in victory, to be honest with you. But um. So I, I kind of I was thinking him, but I think you brought up better points. Uh, yeah, Mark Harmon. He was he was a little bit too much of a good guy, you know, too much of a couldn't really play the heel like uh, Burt Reynolds could, you know.
2: Yeah, and the only reason I picked him is because he he kind of had a wry smile about him, and he he could definitely throw the football, and he was still in pretty good shape. There were football players who were actors, but by that time in the eighties, they were getting kind of old. Don Meredith, for example, in the 70s might have been able to get away with playing that role, but I don't think he was a good enough actor. And by the 80s, he was just too old to play it, I think. And there was probably other football players that could fill in the roles. Ben Davidson could maybe play the Richard Keel character, you know, kind of a big kind Mm. of guy like that. Uh, Freddie Dreyer was an actor in the 80s. He might have been able to play one of the guards, but he was kind of tall and thin, so I don't know if there was height restrictions for guards, but he might have been able to pull one of those off. He was a, certainly a good enough actor. He could have been an inmate as well, and he was in really good shape. He he retired in 1981, so in 1984, he was definitely would have been able to do football scenes. So there were players who could have filled in around... The stars, but boy, finding a guy like Burt Reynolds in 1984 would be really tough, in my opinion.
1: So I just thought of this: uh, you want a quarterback that wanted to be an actor? Um, what about if in 1984 Joe Namath would have been retired by then, right? I think. Yeah. But I don't know if he was. He was. I don't. He wanted to be an actor. He was in what CNC that company is that the motorcycle movie or something.
2: Yeah, he did act, and he was still acting in the 80s. Uh, I don't think he was really good. He couldn't have carried a role. <laughs> he had uh, retired in 1977. And in 1984, he, he still would have had a cannon, and he, he didn't have really good mobility, so I don't know if he could have... He would have been a better athlete than, than everybody else, even with bad knees, but I don't think he could have played the role. He, just, he, didn't, have the, he didn't have the acting chops. pull it off
1: yeah i agree i think he 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 barely made it through those 30 second brute commercials with (laughs) with his acting chops um
0: if you put that uniform on you're supposed to be a football player and you've got to be ready to go all the way that's just the way i am i guess that's why i use brute i like the smell i like the way it works the way it lasts brute by fabergé after the game after anything Brute goes all the way.
2: If you're not going to go all the way,
0: man, I mean,
2: why go at all? But boy, in 1984, Carl Eller could have paid one of the heavies. He was—he acted a little bit. You know, Merlin Olsen was acting. I don't know if he would have done a role like that. There were guys that could have, it could have been fun if they would have had a kind of a, a cavalcade of football players. There was a movie called Necessary Roughness in the early 90s where Kathy Ireland, sure. Ireland was the, the female kicker. They had a, a scene where a bunch of football players came from a prison to scrimmage the college football team, and that was pretty fun. They had uh, even had a boxer as one of the football players, Evander Holyfield. But uh, huh. Two Tall Jones was one of them, and Dick Butkus, and quite a few. So that could have been something that could have been exploited in a in a nineteen eighties football movie that with a lot of prisoners. So that could have happened.
1: I also would have liked to have seen Carl Eller be in an 80s movie because um, so many people say Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction. I mean he looked so much like Carl Eller He had the same hairstyle in that movie and he, he it looked like him in the face, of course, not as big as Carl Eller, but it just uh, I would have liked to have seen him do like a maybe read off a couple Samuel L. Jackson lines and see if that would have worked, but maybe not.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've talked to Carl about that. He said friends of his used to call him Samuel L. Eller.
1: For a while, <laughs> oh wow! Okay. okay, I didn't know if he was aware. Of, I suppose people would bring that up to him. <laughs> that was, that's funny. Um, and then so just kind of wrapping up on the movie here. Um, Burt Reynolds' brother played number sixty-six, like one of the the linemen for the convicts. And he was on the final play, the longest yard play, you know, where the movie gets the name from. He's running alongside Burt Reynolds in slow motion. And it's even in one scene, they're like their left feet are hitting and then their right feet. They're like in step and step uh, unison together. Um, I thought that was kind of an interesting fact. Did you pick up on that at all, John?
2: I did not. You got me on that one. I I followed who the football players were in the movie and always thought it was interesting that they were really not tremendous football players or well-known stars but you got me there man that's a great tidbit and next time I watch it I'm going to be specifically paying attention for that one
1: yeah because it's like he's playing like a pulling guard and then uh you know and he's running and blocking for Burt Reynolds and then it's just really weird that they're 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 step and step like left foot is hitting at the same time then their right foot hits at the same time uh pretty crazy and then um we're just kind of. We've already kind of talked about what scenes wouldn't be able to go today. Do you think the cheerleader scene would still work today? I think it did because the the cheerleaders were there on their own volition. The, the movie didn't make fun of them. It just put them out there. I mean, they were funny in in the sense, but um, the movie just kind of put them there. No, nobody made fun of them on screen. I, I thought they were great. Uh, do you think that would still work in a movie today?
2: I think so because. I don't think it was done in a mocking way. I think it's all in, in things. Serious issues can be covered as long as there's not. It's not done in a prejudicial way, and done to put people down or to be ugly. Certain things exist in prison, and that's one of them. Uh, racism exists in prison. That's just one of the facts. And I think that hand, you know, that hand was handled in that movie particularly well. We can't just bury our heads in the sand and watch movies that are 100% partic- you know, uh, politically correct. We have to live in the world, and I think one of the ways to battle things that are ugly is to show them. And it's a way to hold up a mirror to ourselves as a society and say, you know what, that's something that exists. We need to make it better. And one of the ways we make things better is to expose how ugly it might be.
1: Oh, wow, very well put. I like the way you said that.
2: Yeah, but like you said, in that particular case, it's just shown it wasn't mean-spirited and we can still learn from it. Like, yeah, that's something that happens in prison. You've got men dressing in drag and cheering, and that's just part of what they wanted to do. They weren't being forced to do it, and it was it was funny. I think it's funny today. <laughs>
1: yeah it's really f- funny and it's uh yeah it's so, it's so weird that like I was watching that documentary and they said it's kind of made to be a serious movie I just can't see it it's it, it just so much of the comedy is baked into it um and so I ask you, so I know you know a lot about, it sounds like you know a lot about sports movies. What do you think, does this rank higher? This, I don't know, this is a prison movie and a football movie. Do you think this ranks higher on your list of best prison movies ever, or do you think it lists higher on best sports movie ever? What would you say?
2: I think it ranks higher as a sports movie for the reasons we've talked about, the realism, and that they got good athletes in there to play kind of the roles I think that adds to the authenticity of it. I think there are better prison movies because, boy, prison is such an ugly subject. I mean, Shawshank Redemption is probably the best prison movie, and there's quite a few others. Uh, Prison is something that we don't handle well as a society. For one thing, we put way too many people in prison for things that uh, probably don't need to be in prison. Uh, Also, when we put people in prison... That don't really that, that maybe they could serve in in a jail or or you know fines for bad things happen to them. It's just a dangerous place and there's predatory things that happen in there. And I think other movies handle that better. And maybe we need to rethink putting people into long prison systems and dangerous for you know for minor drug offenses. I know I'm kind of getting on a soapbox here, but no, it's fine. Uh, right. Yeah, but if you, if you, it's to me as somebody who's a who's a Christian and believes in Christ that uh, he talks about how we should treat prisoners, uh, people who are in prison and how we should visit and treat them, and I think he does that for a reason. And I think all of us have failed a little bit on how we how we treat prisoners. And I think movies sometimes is a way to be reminded of how bad it is. These guys go in, they tell their stories then they get made movies and it's, it's supposed to make us change. So I don't, I don't think, um, Longest Yard handles the, the bad things that well. It's kind of makes light of them. not makes light of them, but it doesn't really expose the ugliness the way other movies do. But it's a great, great football movie.
1: Yeah, it is. A, it's a great football movie. And, um, it's kind of, did you know that, uh, I, I like the way it ended. Uh, the original script called for uh, Burt Reynolds to get shot at the end when he's walking away to get the foot, the game ball. Um, I, I really prefer the ending they came up with, and I think that's part of the reason why it's such a great movie.
2: I did not know Do you think that. think it would have been part. a bummer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would have um, been ridiculous. Yeah.
1: It was just such a striking scene. I, I remember seeing that when I was. Uh, young and it was just you know to see a football player holding a gun and here we're talking about this twice now A football players holding the gun it was just such such a striking image when i was young i was like that doesn't look right you know it's like because he's got all his football gear on when he's got the gun up so we, we talked about where you think it's way up there as a sports movie um let's say we were opening a drive-in movie theater do you think and we, we were just playing old movies um do you think you this would uh work well as a uh, double feature with Slapshot, the movie Slapshot that I already mentioned once today?
2: Yeah, I think it would. It wouldn't be the movie I would pick because Slapshot is even, it's a little even more adult than The Longest Yard. There's a little more sexual references and things like that. I think it's, I think Longest Yard is a little more tame. I would open it up with Bad News Bears and then huh. later, showing longest yard.
1: Huh. I, I, I didn't even think of bad news bears. That's a that's a great choice. I was thinking, you know, you know, they, they usually had three movies at, at a drive-in. So I was thinking, um, I was thinking maybe opening it up with Caddyshack, then go then slap then the longest yard. <laughs> <But>
2: well, <laughs> I, gets- I'm not saying you're wrong. I mean, it's just one of those things. When you when you kind of mentioned that, I thought. You know what would be, because Bad News Bears is is really funny, but it also Mm -hmm. has realistic scenes in it, and it's got kind of a, um, the character of Buttermaker kind of reminds me of a broken down, older Paul Crew, in a way, guy who (laughs) tasted the big time, but now now he's just an older version, and then he's, in this case, he's teaching kids rather than inmates. I think there's some parallels there.
1: Oh, very well. Yeah, that's that's a great choice. Is there anything else, John, you wanted to bring up about that movie or other football movies? Um,
2: let's talk about the Shockner character real quick about how everybody thought what what a badass he was. When you look at him now, and what, what it would be compared to is like MMA fighters and stuff. He would be considered nothing. You know, he wasn't doing anything particularly tough compared to today's standards. Do you remember seeing him, and you think, "Oh, what a but a tough guy"? Yeah, I, and now he'd be he'd be a wimp.
1: <laughs> well, remember they said he was going to be an expert in karate, and that was the 1970s when karate was actually something. Now, when they talk about the martial arts, uh, MMA, it's uh, jujitsu, and uh, I don't even think karate gets mentioned in the top ten martial arts anymore for whatever reason. Okay, John, we've gotten to the part of the show where we're breaking down 1970s fighting styles. I I think that's going to do it for us. It's been great having you as a guest. Uh, Can you please tell the listeners where they can follow you or where they can reach out to you?
2: Well, there's Pro Football Journal at Blogspot and also uh, SI.com Talk of Fame 2. I write articles for them as well. So mostly pro football stuff. We focus on Hall of Fame and older players, uh, the history of the NFL, things that uh, are not generally not current. I like following things of the past. It's just more interesting to me.
1: Yeah, you do a great job of it, too. I mean, you've got these black and white plays all drawn on on your Twitter, and you you know who like the pulling guard is, and I'm like I don't know even know how you get that information or how you know that, and you just seem to know who every player, every number is, and it's it's just amazing. Well, thank you, and you're a good follow on Twitter. You know one of the reasons we had you on today is because I, I knew you'd be uh, great on the movie because you just like you're you're into movies you're into old that 70s music i know you, you do a lot of bruce springsteen uh stuff and uh you're always talking about the old movies i know me and you kind of bonded over the movie the warriors which is still a movie i haven't covered on here yet so um but yeah so i mean you're really good um you know it's not just all football stuff you, you do really good of covering stuff in the past so i really encourage us well, our thanks. listeners to check check you out Excellent. Appreciate so, uh,
2: do you, I like your logo. It's it's half Bruce Springsteen and half Van Halen, and I'm a big Van Halen guy. <laughs>
1: All right, I'm glad you got that. I was, I was hoping people got that, but um, yeah, uh, I I was gonna do the half, uh, yeah, half Bruce Springsteen. I was gonna do it plaid because I really wanted it to clash. I wanted it to almost hurt your eyes when you looked at it, and I, I think it still does that a little bit because it, it clashes a little bit. So that's that's kind of the look I was looking for, going for. <laughs> All right, John, well, thank you so much for your time today. And um, and I'll have the links up for our guests so they they can track you online. And um, i like to thank everybody for joining me for another episode. Um, I think for the next episode, we have another Crazy Clips episode coming up. And uh, yeah, this time all our favorite uh, singer-songwriters are going to be in a go-kart race. Um, hopefully Phil Collins will stay out of trouble. Uh, he's doing a practice lap right now. Let's, let's drop in and see if we can hear him. <laughs> Ooh, and that's the sound of uh, Phil crashing into the barricades right now. At, at least he always does it in tune. You know what I mean? Till the next episode, I hope everybody enjoys their Super Bowl Sunday and every Sunday, as far as that goes. See ya.
0: But well, I tried to make it Sunday, but I got so damn depressed that I set my sights on Monday. And I got myself undressed I ain't ready for the altar But I do agree there's times When a woman sure can be a friend of mine